Hey there, I'm Adam Demetrician, the lead pastor at Pathways Church in Appleton, Wisconsin. And this is our podcast. I hope this message inspires you, feeds your faith, and ultimately leads you into a growing relationship with Jesus. Well, good morning. It's, uh, it's great to be with you, friends. Great to be back with you. This January 2024, I am so thrilled and grateful to be back and preaching with you again at Pathways Church. Well, if you're a guest today, welcome. We are so glad that you're with us. If you are joining us online, thanks for being a part of our online church. And I'm excited about God's Word. And you know why? Because, listen, we live, how many of you know that we live in an imperfect world and we are imperfect people? So what that means is we all share something in common. We all, all of us, we experience failures. How many of you had a failure in 2023? Maybe it was an investment failure or a parenting failure or a relationship failure. Like, listen, little show of hands. You had a failure in 2023. It's okay. You can raise your hand. Yeah, yeah. Had a failure. How many of you wish you had like a redo from 2023? A little redo like the video. Yeah, yeah, same. I wish I could redo a few things. Well, you know, um, the night before Jesus was betrayed and taken to the cross and crucified for you and me so that we could become more like him, two of his closest friends, actually two of his best friends, had major failures in their lives. See, what Judas did, Judas, he betrayed Jesus and Peter denied Jesus. Judas rejected the mercy of God, and so he killed himself. He took his own life, and Peter accepted the mercy of God. What he did was he became the leader of the church. And what I want to do this weekend in this little two-part miniseries is simply this. I want to learn some lessons from Peter's major failure by asking three questions. First of all, what causes personal failure in our lives? What, 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 what are the ways in which we can recover from our failure? And then the final and most important question I want to devote the entire message next weekend to, and that's this question. What does Jesus say to your failure? So let's get started. First question, like uh, what causes personal failures in our lives? Well, there's lots of answers to this question but I want to highlight just three of them. The first is this. If you're taking notes, jot this down. Or you can go to our mobile app. We want to have all the content in your hands so that you can have a growing relationship with Jesus. If you uh, want to know some causes to our personal failures, the first thing is that we overestimate our strengths. We overestimate our strengths. Now, this is a big cause of failure in your life. Why? Because you think you're stronger than you really are. You think you can handle more than you really can. You begin to believe the lie that there's something about you that makes you invincible. This is what happened uh, with Peter. See, you, you begin to think that you're stronger than you actually are. You overestimate your strengths. There's lots of businesses that fail because they overestimated their strengths. There's lots of of college students who failed out of college because they overestimated their strengths. There's lots of, of, of sports teams that failed because they overestimated their strengths, unless you're the Chicago Bears and you just don't have a lot of strengths. <laughs> My point is, it's easy to overestimate our strengths. Peter did it. Look at this. 
This is uh, after, right after the Last Supper, Jesus is sharing with this small group, his original 12 followers known as the apostles in the upper room in Matthew 26. And by the way, if you're not a part of a small group, you need to check out Rooted. You heard the story, and it's time for you to engage in community because you got to get rooted in faith. And so here's what took place with Jesus' small group. Matthew 26, 31. Then Jesus told them, his disciples, this very night you will fall, all of you will fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I've risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And Peter replied, he said, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, Peter, you're going to disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same thing. Now, did you notice how emphatic Peter is about his allegiance and identification with Jesus Christ? Three times in the text, he says, I never will. Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. He's overestimating his strength. He is saying, I can handle this. I'm invincible. I will never turn my back on you. I will never deny you. And we can do the same thing, can't we? It's easy for us to overestimate our strength. But here's the reality. None of us are exempt. Friends, we can't be naive about the fact that all of us can fall prey to any sin known to humankind. Given the right circumstances, you and me, all of us, we are capable of any sin. Why? Because if you feel your skin and your face, guess what? You're human. And that qualifies you for some of the biggest failures that we can experience as the human race. That's why Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. In other words, don't be naive. None of us are exempt. Be careful. Be careful lest you fall. So don't overestimate your strength. It's one of the reasons that we have personal failures. The second reason that we fail is because we fear the disapproval of others. Now, I don't know if you realize this, but this is one of the biggest reasons why you fail in life is because you fear the disapproval of other people. And it's easy to do. This trap is a setup for failure. We, we, we can fall into this pretty easily. Why? Because we want to please people. And if we want to please people, we eventually become a people pleaser. We make commitments that we really don't want to keep, and we, we, we say things that we really don't want to do. And what happens is, we eventually become cowards. We eventually appease people so much so that their voice in our lives is more important than the voice of Jesus in our life. And isn't it true, the song that Nathan and the team taught us today, our goal is that we might become more like Jesus. Well, in order to become more like Jesus, his voice has to be the most important voice in our lives. Peter struggled with this. He, he struggled with the fear of people's disapproval. I've been there. I, I know what that's like. You probably have too. There are people around us, and we want to do the best we can to, to please them. But sometimes we have to listen, and we have to follow 
who Jesus is and what he says. Look again with me in Matthew chapter 26, and I want you to notice the first part of this very first verse. Here's where the problem lies. Peter followed him, Jesus, at a distance, right up to the courtyard of the high priest. This was after the Last Supper, after Jesus was betrayed and he's taken to his trial. Jesus was following at a distance, right up to the courtyard of the high priest. He entered and he sat down with the guards to see the outcome. Now, Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it. There was his first denial before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. So, in his very first moment, the very first time that Peter gets to express, to demonstrate his allegiance and identification with Jesus Christ, Peter has a major failure. He denies Jesus. Why? Because he's fearing the disapproval of other people. Now, how many times in our lives have we had the chance to step up and to say, yeah, I, 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 can't, I can't go there. I can't do that. Or we have an opportunity to lean in and share with people that our values are different from the world's values or from their values in a humble but a confident way to say, you know what, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I, I, I can't go that direction. You know what happens? Oftentimes, if you're anything like me, it's easy to cave and, and to deny Christ because why? We fear dis, the disapproval of other people. And this happens, if we are really honest, it happens because we are so much more worried about what others think than what God thinks. Now, let me just pause here for a moment and ask you a couple questions. Do you struggle with following Jesus at a distance? Would you say, like, Adam, I, I want to be a follower of Jesus, but I prefer just to kind of hang back and follow him from a distance. You know why? Because I don't want to be one of those over-the-top Christians. Like, I don't want to be, I don't want to turn people off. So I'd rather just kind of hang out at a distance. I don't want to put my faith into action. I don't want to get rooted in community. I, you know, like, I, I, I know about Jesus. I'll just... I'll, I'll wait and watch and follow at a distance. Notice what the scripture says. Peter was hanging out in the courtyard, waiting for how things were going to play out with Jesus. Rather than engage, engaging in a thoughtful manner, Peter was just kind of laying back, hanging out. That's a setup for failure, friends. Another question I want to ask you is this. Whose opinion of you matters more to you than God's. Whose opinion? Who in your life right now? For Peter, you know who it was? It was a servant girl. A servant girl's opinion of Peter mattered more to Peter than following Jesus Christ. Whose opinion of you matters more to you than God's opinion? Whoever that person is, guess what? They now have become your God. And you know what scripture says? That person is an idol. That person is an idol. Proverbs 29, 25 gives us wisdom and says, fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. So Peter overestimated his strengths. He said, I'll never disown you. I'll, I'll go and die with you. P Peter then 
he was selling Jesus out. He was fearing the disapproval of a servant girl. And so he just kind of, he, he, he didn't follow Jesus close enough. Here's the third way in which Peter failed and the way in which we fail oftentimes. We speak without thinking. We speak without thinking. We put our mouth into motion before we put our mind into gear. We begin to speak thoughtlessly and impulsively. We say things that we don't mean. Have you ever done this? I have. It gets us in so much trouble. Why? Because we can't just, we can't just pause. We can't just ponder. We can't maybe say a prayer or think about our response in light of who Jesus is and his word. Rather, what do we do? We begin to just talk. Our mouths are in motion. We're not actually listening to the individual of conversation. We're preparing our next statement, our rebuttal, our response to what they're saying to prove our point. And so rather than than, than pausing and pondering and praying, all we're doing is we're rushing ahead and we're proceeding. And when we're met with failure or our outcomes are not achieved, what do we do? We perceive harder, faster, and louder with more words. And what does it lead to? It leads to failure. Listen, we begin to proceed emotionally rather than thinking rationally and preparing a response. You know, the book of Proverbs hits this multiple times. It says it this way, that wise people measure their words. Wise people, they measure their words. How is this going to impact the other person? Is this truly what I want to say? Foolish people, they they speak without thinking. This is what Peter did. He goes emotional. He, He gets uptight. He's angry. He's in this place where he doesn't know what to do. And let's continue on in Matthew 26, beginning in verse 71. Then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. Notice the first time the girl just says something to him. Now there's a group of people and she calls Peter out. He denied it again, second denial with an oath. I do not know this man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you are are one of them. Your accent gives it away. And then he began to call down curses and he swore to them. I don't know this man. I don't know who he is. Beep, 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 beep. They kind of left that out of scripture. Now, what is swearing all about? Swearing is a sign of frustration. Swearing sometimes can be a sign of fear. Why? Because you, you, you can't express rationally what you're feeling, and so you have to say a curse word because it just feels like, ah, it's a release. It just, yes, I needed to say that, but you don't actually know what you were saying. You just need to say that word because that word made you feel better, but it didn't actually convey the message that you were intended to convey to an individual. And that's exactly what happened to Peter. He, he, he started to speak without thinking, and he did it in front of people who were accusing him of his allegiance to Christ, the very allegiance that he told Jesus Christ earlier on the same evening, I will never deny you. Friends, there's a lot of meat on the bone right there. 
There's a lot of implications for you and me in terms of our relationship with Jesus. How quickly things can turn in our walk with Jesus Christ, given the right circumstances and the right pressures and the right situations and the right people around you and me. It's easy to deny and to cave and to fail. And in the next part of this verse, we see Peter's world, it utterly collapses. It says this, immediately a rooster crowed. Can you imagine how Peter felt? After three years with the Son of God, after he had seen all of the, the healings, heard all the teachings, saw all the miracles, he knew this man. He knew that he was different. He knew that he had authority. He knew that he had a connection with God. And what does he do? He denies Christ. He has the biggest failure of his entire life. And for the next 2,000 years, there are billions and billions of people who get to read about Peter's denying Christ three times before the rooster crowed. Oh, think about that. Man, that must have been so hard for Peter. Can you even imagine? So what causes personal failure? Well, we overestimate our strengths. We fear the disapproval of others. We speak without thinking. Peter did all three, and he had a major failure in his life. We do all three, and we have failures in our lives. Now, that's what Peter did wrong. Let's ask this question. What did Peter do right? How did he recover from his failure? And if we apply these principles in our lives, how can we recover from our failure? We're, we're going to learn from Peter's life because whether it's a financial failure, a relational failure, a career failure, a spiritual failure, or any other kind of failure, a failure that you had in 2023, maybe uh, several failures, or a failure that is awaiting you in 2024, and you're thinking, man, how am I going to handle failure? Well, the good news is we see from Peter's life three things that you and I, we can apply and we can do in order to have a redo and experience God's mercy, because that's what we're really talking about. We're talking about God's mercy in the light of our failure. So, Write these down. The first thing that we do is we grieve. You have to grieve. You grieve. You grieve. You don't try to minimize your failure. You don't try to pretend that it didn't happen. You don't try to justify or rationalize it. You don't brush it off or downplay it. You just simply acknowledge the failure and the pain that's associated with their failure. You have to just grieve. You have to say, you know what? This hurts. This is hard. I don't know what to do with this. It usually involves emotions and tears and apologies and a lot of hard feelings. And I get it. None of us likes to have hard days and to feel pain. In fact, so much of our lives are conditioned around the fact that we don't want to experience those things. But that's a part of life. Failure is what makes us human. And one of the things that I've learned in 2023 is this principle. To get, to get past it, to get past the failure, you got to go through it. To get past it, you got to go through it. You can't go over it. You can't go under it. You can't go around it. In order to get through the failure, you just have to go through it. 
You have to deal with it. You have to face it. You got to go through it. You just got to look it in the eye and you got to grieve it. You got to say to God, you know what? I blew it. I messed up. You got to learn to forgive yourself. You, 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 you got to grieve it. Why do you have to grieve it? Well, grief is a good thing. Listen, grief is the healing way for you to get through your personal failure and to recover. More importantly, grief is God's way of you learning the lessons from your failure in order to become more like Jesus for the next season of your life. This is really important because if you don't learn the lessons from your failure, here's the problem that's going to arise. If you don't deal with your emotions, if you don't grieve the failure, you're going to have this tendency like me just to plow forward, onward, push forward, kind of forget it, just remove it. But the reality is you can't forget it and you can't remove it no matter how hard you try. No matter how many times you erase your browser history, no matter how many times you, you lie, no matter how many times you try to cover it up or hide it, you can't forget the failure. It's like taking a, a can of pop and shaking it up and, and putting it in the freezer. Eventually, that thing is going to explode. That's why we as human beings have so many physical ailments, so many GI issues, so many ulcers, so many things. Why? Because we're walking around with all this stress and this anxiety. We're not dealing with the feelings and the emotions and the failures of our past. And this is critical if we want to become more like Jesus. And when you don't grieve, when you don't grieve your failures, you know what happens? You take the old you into a new situation. The unprocessed baggage and the emotions of the past, you might, you might change the surroundings, but you still have the baggage. Have you ever met somebody? Oh, I lost that business. I'm going to go start one next week. Ever seen one of your friends? I lost that relationship. I'm just going to hop into a brand new relationship. What's it called? Rebound. It takes time to grieve. And this is what Peter did. This is one of the ways in which Peter recovered. Look with me at Matthew 26, 75. Then Peter remembered the words that Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times, Peter. And what did Peter do? He went outside and he wept bitterly. If you have a paper Bible, just circle those two words, wept bitterly. See, Peter didn't try to make excuses. He, he didn't blame shift. He simply went outside and he just poured out his heart to God. He said, all my dreams are pinned on this. I thought I could follow you. I, I don't know what happened, Jesus. I, I thought you, I was the one, I was so ready. I mean, I walked on water. I got out of the boat. I was the guy. I was the one who said, I was kind of the leader of your, of your, of your small group. I, I was the co-lead. I was going to step up big time and I denied you. We've all been there, haven't we? We all thought we were going to do something. We said something. We made promises. And lo and behold, what do we do? We failed, and we failed miserably. So you have to just grieve it. You have to weep it. You know, here's another life lesson that you can learn when it comes to failure. The greater the failure, 
the more time you need to grieve. The, the, the greater the personal failure in your life, the more time you're going to need to grieve that and to allow God to bring healing into your heart. You know why? Because you can't rush healing. You can't rush recovery. It takes time. You can't will it. You can't, you can't force it. All, you just need time with the right people and the leader the merciful God who loves you to say, I am going to bring healing to your heart and to your life. That's exactly what King David, the greatest king on, on, on in, nation, in Israel's history. The nation of Israel, David, he failed miserably, had some major failures, and he knew that God needed to heal his heart. And the only way that he could, he could do that was, in, was to grieve before God. In fact, one of uh, the Psalms, Psalm 51, is entirely devoted. It's like a long prayer of David just grieving before the Lord. And I want you to notice what David writes in verse 17. He says this, The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and a repentant heart, O God. Did you notice that? You notice what God will never reject? He will never reject a heart that is repentant. He will never reject a heart that is contrite, that says, I'm sorry, I was wrong, forgive me. God, listen, look up at me here, friends. God will never deny your repentance if you pour out your heart and you say, forgive me. God is waiting and his mercy is available to you. He wants you to grieve it and to receive his love and his care and his kindness because the only way you're gonna get through it is if you go through it and you grieve the failure. The failure is one of the classrooms of life and the curriculum is grief. Don't be afraid to grieve. Feel all the feels. Acknowledge it before the Lord. Make things right with people. And then you can begin to heal. You can begin to move on. David shared from his heart this powerful verse about recovering from personal failure. You have to grieve. Now, Let me pause here and share from a very vulnerable place in my heart. Many of you know that I had some major failures in 2023. To be very candid with you, 2023 was the worst year of my life. And as I re-enter into pastoring pathways again, I want to acknowledge my failures again. Because the mess in my world created a mess in your world. And I am very, very aware of that. And I have grieved that tremendously and will continue to grieve that. My mess created messes for small groups, for people, for friendships, for relationships, for, for all kinds of things. My mess created a mess for my wife and kids. My mess has caused a lot of pain for a lot of people. And as a church family, for those of you who remain, for those of you who are a part of our online church, for those of you, really all of us, who are going to readjust to my reentry, there will be some of you that might shift. You might not feel comfortable with this. Some of you might settle in and say, no, I'm here. Some of our staff team might shift. 
There might be some shifting that takes place, some settling. But in this moment, I just want to acknowledge that my mess created a mess for you. But I also want to tell you, God's great mercy in my life is bringing hope and healing beyond my failures. And I'm learning to forgive myself and to find the healing and restoration that is a part of God's plan for Adam Demetrician. For this, I'm grateful. For this, I'm grateful. For this, it feels good. It feels good to be able to stand before you and say, God is doing a work in me. It feels good to be able to say, you know what, I'm grieving. I will be. But I know that God is good. I know his faithfulness. His mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. I can stand before you as a living example to say, God is a merciful God. He won't reject you. He's there for you. He loves you. His kindness and his goodness. We serve a loving God. We serve a loving God. There is nothing that you can do that can separate you from the love of God. He's a merciful God. And so as we get into reentry mode, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for the time away. Thank you for serving and loving our community. I want to say thank you to our staff team that has done a fine job. I want to say thank you to our elders who have been firm and fair with me, merciful but truthful. I want to say thank you to, to people who have supported me personally and, and individually. I want to say thank you that, that we have been the church that I believe that God is proud of, that he looks at it and he says, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of the people of Pathways Church there in Appleton, Wisconsin. And let me just say this, I'm ready for more of the plan that God has for our church. I'm ready to become more like Jesus, aren't you? I'm ready to be more merciful. I believe that the valley needs more churches like Pathways Church, more churches where God's mercy is available and meets people's messes. Listen, friends. We don't need to gather as a bunch of fake, phony, imposter syndrome kind of self-righteous people. We need to say, look at me. My righteousness was like filthy rags, and it's only because the goodness and the mercy and the salvation of Jesus Christ that I am growing and going forward in Christ with his power and his victory. Amen? I want to be a part of a church like that. I want to lead a church like that. I believe that's what we have been in the past, and I believe that God's going to continue to grow our character and our ability to function at a higher level, full of grace and truth, just the same way that Jesus came into our world. All right, so the first thing that Peter did is grieving. I'm doing some grieving with you, for you. I'm grieving. And here's the second thing that Peter did. It seems a little odd, but this is what the Bible says. If we're going to recover from failure, you have to receive support from your small group. And this is exactly what Peter did. Why? Because Peter knew the power of small groups. Do you know who Peter's uh, small group leader was? Yeah, Jesus. Yeah. How cool would it be to sign up to be a part of Jesus' small group, right? <laughs> yeah, Peter was a part of his small group, 11 other individuals. See, Jesus knew the power of community in small groups. That, that's why our, our mission here at Pathways Church is to, to lead people, 
to inspire people into a growing relationship with Jesus. Well, how did Jesus grow in his relationship with the Father? Well, he's a part of a place like this, at the synagogue, in the row. And then he had a small group of followers, and then he spent time in his chair. You heard Anthony in the rooted testimony and the story share about chair time. Listen, row circle chair is the way that Jesus got close to the Father. And the way that we get close to the Father is to make sure we're part of small groups, to receive the love and the support and the care of other like-minded Christ followers that said, hey, man, I'm for you. I'm thinking about you. I'm praying for you. I'm not judging you. It's hard. I'm going to lift. I'm, I'm there for you. I got you. Got your back. God loves you. I'm going to support you. I don't understand it. I don't know what's going on, but I just I want to love you. I want to wrap my arms around you. I want to care for you. This is exactly what Peter experienced. Let me give you a few examples. On the morning that Jesus rose from the dead, Mary and some women were at the tomb getting ready to prepare his body with spices. And Jesus said to them, he said, I want you to go back and I want you to tell the disciples that I've risen. Mary's eyeballs were like, whoa. But he said this also, he said, and I want you to let Peter know that I've come back as well. Why? Because Jesus was being merciful to Peter. Don't you think that when Mary busted through the doors and said, guys, listen, ladies, listen up. Jesus has, has risen from the dead. And you know what else? Peter, Jesus wanted you to know that he's also come back to life just like he said. Because you got to know in that moment, Peter, he probably felt like, oh, my word. Not only did I deny him, but he actually did come back to life. I am a loser. And Jesus is like, no, you are a winner. Just follow me, Peter. You know, another way in which uh, Peter received support from his small group says this in John chapter 20, verse 19, on the evening of the first day of the week, which is the night of Easter, the first uh, uh, day that Jesus came back to life. When the disciples were together, the doors were locked, the fear of Jewish leaders. Jesus came and he stood among them and said, peace be with you. And Peter was a part of his small group. He was behind locked doors. And Jesus was in the small group visibly, tangibly. Now, I got to tell you, I've been a part of a lot of small groups, and Jesus has never showed up physically. He's never made a physical appearance in the living room that I've sat in or with the friends at my small group. That would be cool. He's never done that. But I will say this. Jesus has showed up many, many times in places and in groups where I have felt his love through people's words, through their hugs, the prayers that they have texted me, the actions of love, the consideration. Haven't you? If you have it, you need to be a part of a small group. Small groups are so important for us as Christians. You, you, it can't just be you and Jesus. You were, you were made. You're better when you're with other people. We're better together. We're not, we're not meant to isolate and to be alone. And that is one of the, the, the enemy strategies when we, feel, when we fail is to isolate, to pull away. Listen, you don't have to tell everybody about your failure, but you've got to tell a couple people. We're going to love you, support you, be with you. 
If you need a small group, you need to sign up for Rooted, talk to somebody, connect, or if you need another small group, we're doing something in February. We're launching a whole collection of brand new small groups, and we need facilitators. We need people who are going to step up. We need people who are going to lean in and say, you know what? I want to be more like Jesus. I want to be a part of a circle. If that's you, engage with us at Group Link come February. And the reason that this is so important to receive support from our small group is simply this, because, because when you're in a crisis, you don't think straight. You don't think straight. When you're in a crisis, when you're failing and you're failing miserably, there are things in your mind, there are things that you're experiencing at an emotional level, and you need somebody to say, hey, hold on. This is what God says. Hold on. Hold on. There are some people who are going to love you. And this is an important takeaway. For some of you, you need to hear this today. The time to build your support system and your network is not when you experience crisis. It's before the failure. It's right now. What better time in 2024 to say, you know, I really want to lean in. I truly want to engage. I want to get really serious about being a follower of Jesus. Be a part of a small group. So, Peter did two things right. He grieved, he received some support from a small group, and then here's the third thing that Peter did. This is something that I want to invite you to do. We need to do this. If we want to recover from our failures, we need to cast ourselves, cast yourself on the mercy of God. Cast yourself on God's mercy. Now, we know that Peter did this because some 30 years after his major failure, where he denied Jesus three times, Peter wrote to a group of Christ followers who were struggling with failure. They were failing miserably. He writes in two of his little letters called First and Second Peter later on, and he basically opens up the letter and he says this, hey, it's Pete, I love you, I'm here for you, and uh, he goes into his first thought. His first thought is in First Peter 1.3, it says this, Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter is saying God's mercy fills us with a living hope. So he's celebrating. What is he doing? He's celebrating. Peter is celebrating the mercy of God. Peter is saying God's mercy is amazing. Peter's 30 years removed from the biggest failure of his life. And what Peter is saying is, I'm not defined by my past. I'm not in prison to my past. I'm not going to live with regret and remorse and shame. I've been set free from my failure. And you know what? There's hope beyond your failure. There's God's mercy that will get you through as you grieve and receive support and as you cast your care. Flip over a couple chapters. You know how you cast yourself on God's mercy? Well, Peter tells us about it. In 1 Peter 5, 7, he says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I love the way one translation says, King James, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. And we know that Peter did this because 
He was no longer the Peter writing about his failures. He was instructing a group of Christians and saying, this is how you recover. This is the primary way in which you get beyond your failure, where you live with hope and purpose. There's a new day, a new year. You don't have to bring the old you into a new year. You can bring a newer, a renewed, a stronger, a more victorious, a more committed. One who can look back and say, yeah, I did fail. Yep, I blew it. And here's what I learned. And here's what God is showing me because as I move forward, man, God, God's growing me. And isn't that what we want? Don't, don't we want to have a growing relationship as a human being with a loving God, a Savior named Jesus Christ? I do. I want that. And it all starts when we cast ourselves on God's mercy. We cast our cares. Now, you might think that when Peter wrote that verse, he kind of was thinking about being a fisherman because he was a fisherman. So the term cast, maybe you, you think about a boat up north, you're on a lake and you're going to cast your cares. Or if you fly fish, you're thinking 10 and 2, cast, cast. No, no, no. I did a little study on that word cast. And in the original, it has nothing to do with fishing. I, I thought, I assumed that it would be a fisherman's term. But actually, it has this image of carrying a massive boulder, something so big and heavy, it just hurts your back to, to carry it around. You couldn't even, if you wanted to throw it two feet, you couldn't because it was so heavy. The term cast in 1 Peter 5, 7 literally means just to drop it. It doesn't mean throw anything. It doesn't mean to cast your line. It means take your failure, take the thing that you're most ashamed, your grief, your, 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 your shame, your regret, all the ugly, and you just kind of just, you just drop it. Where do you drop it? You drop it at the feet of Jesus. Why? Because he cares for you. He loves you. He knows you. How do you do this? Well, put a little prayer together. In just a moment, we're going to put on the screens. It's a process prayer. And what I want you to do is, I want you to pray quietly. It's a starter prayer, if you will. I want you to just pray quietly at your seat. If you have a failure that you need to cast, you just need to let go of something in 2023, or maybe it's in 2022, or maybe it's in 2017, or maybe you've been holding on to something, you got a grudge you've been holding on to, you failed in a whatever, and you just got to let it go. I want to invite you to cast your care upon Jesus. So let me ask you a few questions. What do you need to drop at Jesus' feet? What failure from 2023 do you need to let go of? Where could God give you another chance? We're going to put the prayer on the screen. And I want you to think about this. A redo as you and I, as you and me, as we enter 2024. 
Go ahead and silently reflect. Cast your cares upon him. Father, as hundreds of individuals are just casting, they're dropping some cares, some failures at your feet, I pray that they would feel a fresh infusion of your care for their soul. God, I thank you for your mercy in our lives. We don't deserve your forgiveness. We don't deserve it all. And yet, because of our trust, our hope in you, you're a loving God, a forgiving Savior. You know, maybe you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ. You've never truly prayed a prayer of, of forgiveness, invited him into your heart. Today's your day. What you need to drop is all of your sin, every sin that you've committed since you were a little toddler. You want to let go of, you want to drop it at the feet of Jesus in exchange for his grace and his, his love and his salvation. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. That's a promise. We can bank on that. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just, and he will forgive you of all of your unrighteousness. If you're here today and you want to make a decision for Jesus Christ, if you're online, you can just type in, I'm giving my life to Jesus Christ. If you're in the room, would you just quickly raise your hand so I can acknowledge you and then you can put it back down. Anybody needs to make a decision today for Jesus Christ? Maybe I missed your hand. Maybe you're online. Let's go ahead and pray this prayer together out loud. Jesus, thank you for loving me. You expressed your love for me by dying for me. So I receive your love, your forgiveness, your mercy. I confess my sin. I drop it at the foot of the cross. I ask for your life into my life to have a new life for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agreed this prayer said, amen, amen. Hey, can we go ahead and celebrate those individuals today who made decisions for Jesus?